Season 7, Episode 31 of your four-star Spurs podcast. I'm your guest host, Cy. With me today is a Tommy. Hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> I got Lucas here. Hello, hello, hello. And I got Peter, my main man for the pub. Afternoon, fellas. So, boys, it's uh, it's going to be a great one. We are, we're on a Tuesday instead of a Monday here. It's a little late, but uh, we're going to have ourselves a little shot at this little Tottenham organization that we so fondly love. Um, I want to get into, to start this thing, let's get into the whole Bournemouth match. Just get this thing out of the way. Um, started off really, uh, really solid on that match um, in the first half, and we looked great. Um, and then things started um, going a little bit sideways. I want to see what, um, I got to the pub a little late. I don't, I don't know what you guys were thinking at the pub early that morning. So, uh, Lucas, why don't you start us off? How were you feeling in that first half? Well, I'll start as soon as I'll start as soon as the lineup came out. I knew exactly what was going to happen. We all thought the same thing that was going to happen. Um, before this game started, two of our last three games, we had gone up a goal against a team near the relegation zone, and we've gone a goal up and found a way to royally fuck it. And the one game that we didn't do that was against Brighton at home, where we actually just got battered the whole game and somehow came out with a Sonny and Kane goal. So as soon as that lineup came out, we knew it was going to be the exact same thing, something that Bournemouth could prepare for, the same thing that they've seen on paper time and time again. And, yeah, I think we played well for about 10 minutes. And then when we got that first goal, I mean, even Stellini said in his press conference, he said, uh, we scored the first goal, but then immediately we dropped. We have to play strong. Well, I mean, if that's not the – thanks, Einstein. Like, that's your job. <laughs> your job's to make sure we keep our foot on the gas and – I honestly think that that's something we've seen time and time again. Same formation, same 11, same disinterest after we go a goal up. And unfortunately, I think that the big takeaway from this game, as I'm sure we'll come on to, is going to be Dave Sanchez and how bad he looked when he had to come in for Langley. But I, I think even without Langley's injury, and I think even if you take away Sanchez, it wasn't as if the rest of that first half, we, we looked asleep for about another 60 minutes until we made a formational switch, like somewhere around 60 to 70. So it's really embarrassing that we had to look like that at home again. But in terms of my overall reaction, I would be unsurprised. I, it's pretty much exactly what I expected. Well, I guess, I guess, were you unsurprised when you saw the lineup? I mean, oh, no, we knew that was going to be the lineup. We knew it was going to happen. Unfortunately, so does Bournemouth. So does every team that we're going to play. So... I, I mean, yeah, nothing, can... nothing new there at all. I agree. Yeah. Peter, what do you think, bud? Well, I, listen, as Lucas was saying, it was another rudderless, completely predictable performance. Um, it's something we're all used to. Um, we never get used to it, but we are um, attuned to what to expect. And and everyone in the league knows it. Um it's yet another opportunity missed against an opponent that you would on another day feel is three points. Um, and how many times have we said that this year, though? Um, there are games this year that we have um, bottled, thrown away, capitulated on. And this is just another one of those um, opportunities that was there for us, especially given Newcastle's um, performance earlier on in the day. Um, so nothing new. 
same old, same old. And uh, frankly, we'll expect more of the same in the next couple of matches. You think, Tommy? Yeah, so I'm at the bar. Peter comes in, you know, say hi and all that good stuff. He's like, yeah, you see Newcastle. So I'm like, you're going to tell me we're not going to capitalize on this? And he just chuckles. I think we all knew it's probably not going to happen. Um. I mean, yeah, Lucas mentioned Sanchez. I mean, yeah, he was bad, but the thing that bothered, well, two things bothered me. You know, Son, he was doing really well, and then he had the goal. You know, great goal, like we expect him to. And then he was heating up for the first 20 minutes, and once 20 minutes hit, it felt like we just kind of stalled. And then how Lucas said, you know, once we finally made some coordination changes, D'Angelo comes on, you know, we look, there's a spring in our step. But so what angers me, yeah, we look a little bit better when Daniel comes on, but also formation change. But I don't, I, I, as you four or the three of you guys know, I'm all about effort when it comes to the players. And I feel it was lacking, but like, I don't even think the lack of effort was an issue. I think there was a lot of effort and I'm kind of turning the corner where like, I know the three, four, three formations, not ideally suited to the players right now but it's like it application the way you know Cellini approaches this you know he totally got it wrong um how Lucas said with the lineup yeah I, I can't agree more so my biggest thing right now with that is long ways out we know that Sanchez has it done well I don't think I would hope that Cellini won't throw him into the wolves to the wolves against uh Newcastle on Sunday so what I'm hoping is that this actually and Tenganga you know he hasn't been playing so I'm like you I hopefully he's kind of learned his lesson with that so I'm hoping for Newcastle it's like okay I have to change things up with a lot with the actual formation how we play but I mean we'll talk about that with Newcastle but I'm just like I think this this was a bigger wake-up call which forces things now on Stellini even though he's you know we know he's as good as gone um by the end of the season, Lucas. Oh, he's he's definitely gone, Lucas. We think. Well, yeah, I, I I love your optimism there, but I I just to me there's just no way. Stellini's not going to make a change. Why the hell would he? If like, what about this game was the wake up call, as opposed to what Everton or Southampton? Like, it's been the same lackluster shit with this lineup. Stellini has no like. Stellini's not going to change it. His future is linked to Conti. He's going to go be Conti's assistant manager. So he's not going to do something crazy. He's going to continue to run Conti's system in the ground and then in the summer go link up with Conti and be his assistant manager wherever they're going. To me, the biggest disappointment was, as I just mentioned, we knew exactly what we were going to get with what we threw out. I was hoping that we would show a little bit of balls. Maybe not when we didn't have the starting lineup. Like, okay, we, we ran the same thing out there. Okay, great. We went up 1-0, and then Langley got hurt. That was another moment. He chose not to show a set of balls at the beginning where we could have actually said, look, we haven't been playing well in this formation. Bournemouth has one of the shittiest defenses in Europe. This is the same team that gave up nine goals at home to Liverpool. Maybe we're at home. (laughs) Maybe we actually have a go, and we try to attack this defense and see how many goals we can score. And instead, as soon as Langley went out, it was, uh, you know what? Here's the answer. We'll just slot a shittier version of Langley in there. So I don't really blame Sanchez. Like, I know he made a couple of mistakes that led to goals, but what's he supposed to do? 
He's not a good defender. It's just it's getting thrown in there where it's that was a perfect opportunity to say, okay, Langley's out. Let's switch to a four-four-two for fuck's sake. Anything. There was a hundred different combos where we could have played a back four, and we could have actually actually possessed the ball for a little bit in the midfield. We could have bombed at Bournemouth's horrible defense. That game, if yep. we had actually had the ballsy sub there, could have been four nil at halftime, and we wouldn't have had to worry about this. Yeah, but Stellini's press conference even said he felt like he couldn't bring on an attacking player when Langley went off. He felt like the need to put another defender on, which only really left him with Sanchez. I find that when to we be were very down cowardly. One, he's like, now I'll do it. <laughs> right, now I'll do it. I'll, now I'll let my player, uh, now I'll do it with the 1-1, and then we'll, we'll do it. Um, I agree with you. What, Peter, what do you think? Well, listen, I don't want to beat a Stellini dead horse, um, but he also said at that press conference something to the akin of, um, after we score and, and the players drop back after scoring, you know, it's become a habit. Um, they do it basically by themselves. It's not coached. And he couldn't understand it. He couldn't understand it. Um, if he's not going to understand it, who will be? And if it's not coached and the players are doing it by themselves, then that's a coaching issue as well. Um, Isn't that his job? Right. Well, Stellini thinks his coaching tactics are sound. He's part of the Conte cultists and he's not going to change. Um, he thinks individual player mistakes are to blame. The system is sound. And if the players just did what they told him, everything would be great. Well, I, I think we can all assume that that's not going to happen in these results. But I think Tottenham over the last many, many years now, have found themselves up 1-0 and constantly find them. We always see them pushing back to defend, not pushing for that extra goal. I mean, Lucas, when's the last time we've seen the Spurs go for two when they're up 1-0 in the 50th, 60th minute? I mean, honestly, I, it would have been very early on in Potch because even Potch towards the end, we started to lose it a little bit. But, um no, and I think that that's a massive problem, and this is something that I know is going to set Tommy up to go on one of his famous rants. I know he loves this one, and I'm going to back him here too. But a lot of it is this player mentality where we don't have the on-pitch leadership, and there's a bunch of things that made me wonder. I know we, some of us, we talked about this outside after the pub or at the pub after the game um, on Saturday, but there's a lot of things that I think about. Like, I wonder how much of this was – beaten into us by Jose. I wonder how much is a carryover. And that's not a slag at Jose because in Jose's defense, that was exactly what Jose had to do when he came here was teach these guys how to actually keep a lead. So Jose's thing was to just stop the bleeding. That wasn't exactly how Jose wanted to play for his career at Tottenham. I think COVID threw a wrench in and we got stuck with it. But I wonder how much is a carryover from that? How much is the lack of killer instincts? Like look at what we saw yesterday from Liverpool just throwing a 6-0 like, away at Leeds. Or when City on Saturday, right after our game, they go up 1-0 on Leicester. Within five minutes, they're back and back right and down, like batting down the door trying to get that second goal. We never see that from us. And it's, I, I wonder where it comes from. But to me, a big thing is on-pitch leadership. We don't have the guy. Yes, I think Stellini, as the manager, when he's baffled saying, well, we scored that first goal, and I don't know why. We just didn't go get this. All of a sudden, we switched off. I'm like, well, that's your job to know that. You're the manager, and you got to fix that. But also, there should be somebody on the pitch. I would hope to be Harry Kane, but there should be someone on the pitch trying to drive these guys forward saying, let's go get this second goal and end this shit. It's fucking Bournemouth. 
Well, just to pick up on your point there about um, uh, the killer instinct, the killer instinct is a tactic. We don't play that type of football. We play counter-attacking football. Um, And we even play counter-attacking football against Bournemouth. Bournemouth at home. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous that we're even having to talk about this killer instinct against a team like Bournemouth, waiting, dragging them in, passing the ball around the back just to create a few spaces against Bournemouth that we can counterattack. Um, so I still think it comes down to tactics. I still think it's 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 Conte ball. Um, and without a change of manager, that's not going to change for the rest of the season. Now, injuries may force him into a slight tactical change at the back, but the fundamentals are still going to be there. Sammy? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought up the whole tactics thing because, you know, I, I, I forget who I told at the bar, but I'm like, you know, this one goal lead, okay, this is nice because, or I brought it up last week where I'm like, okay, we got somebody or we got a first goal early on. This is going to force Bournemouth to actually play a little bit. I mean, what, 24 minutes later, they finally get the goal. But this is kind of cyclical, whether whether it be with Jose or Pochettino. Like, I, I don't disagree with Lucas with Jose, where he was kind of forced into some of these things with the personality they had. But, like, there is – I feel like there's never any plan B. Like, yeah, with Pochettino, we play exciting football. But I'm like, that was the only way we played. Uh, Jose, yeah, we're playing more defensively. Counterattack, same thing with Conte. Counterattack, that's all we do. I – I mean, I'm, we'll talk about this eventually with the uh, new manager, but I'm like, I think that kind of screams with Cellini. I, I, I don't, hopefully Ryan Mason makes a bigger stink or actually has some guts and says something to him and be like, look, we need some flexibility here. I mean, granted, I don't believe we're going to get top four. We're still not out of the woods or we could, there might be a, a small act of God that could happen. We can get it in theory. So if, if there's actually a little more flexibility, we can see things change, albeit I doubt it. Well, let me let me let's continue with the rest of this game real quick. And I want to say something about the what 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 uh, Peter was just saying. It's like the tactics and like the personnel. The what I'm seeing on the pitch is like the players that are playing their heart off, their asses off. Not I mean Harry Kane's obviously playing his ass off, but the players I see running wild is. Poro, the Shuma finally gets another look. The kid is all over the place trying to get his boot through the ball towards the net. He gets a goal. Lucas calls the whole thing, says we're going to score around the 85th, 87th minute. Of course we do. We, we tie the thing up, and we're all going nuts at the bar. And then what do you know? It's too much for us to handle a little bit of excitement. And two minutes later, we're giving up a goal at the back end. Lucas? Well, the first part about that for me is I was most disappointed – there's, it's this is the Premier League, and the the golden rule in the Premier League is if you don't finish your chances, you bet your ass that your opposition will. I don't care who it is; it could be the last, you could be the number one team in the league playing the bottom of the table. So when they got their game winner in the 93rd, that was maybe what 60 seconds after Richarlson missed one of the easiest sitters I've ever seen for a header. Yeah. He had all the time in the world. He was camped in front of the net, unmarked from the six-yard box, and put it wide. You had to just know that immediately at the other end, it's like, yep, this is going in. And the fact that it took so long, I want to throw Richarlison under the bus for that and say that was real shit. I expect better. You're our record signing. But at the same time, I'm like, 
why is it taking us till like the 75th minute to put him on? The, what I called is I remember I was standing. This was when we were still one nil up in the first half. And I was standing next to, I think Grant and Luna over there in the corner by where I stand at the pub. And I said, I was like, yeah, look, uh, she was like, we had just gone up and she said, Oh, like, it'd be fun to see Richarlison get some minutes. And I go, Oh, don't worry. He'll come on in about the 80th when we're down two one. And like, <laughs> I would have loved to say that as if I was kidding, but I'm like, I knew that was going to be how it fucking played out. And so it's just like, that's the part where maybe at halftime when it was one, one would be the opportunity to say, you know what, let's actually try and have a run at this. And let's see if Bournemouth can handle Kane, son and Richarlson or Dan Juma on there. Like there's, I don't know. I just, I think that, I think it was a big mistake to put Stellini in because and it was a big mistake to hire Stellini as the interim and expect that it was going to be anything different because this I, is that's that to me is the big mistake. And like Sai, you just mentioned, like the guys that are working their asses off to me, this game starts and ends with the manager. I mean, we are continually putting guys in positions that don't suit them. I feel bad for like the two guys I feel the worst for are Hoybeer and Skip. Hoybier and Skip are working their asses off, but they're being put like, this isn't the formation that suits them. This isn't, this isn't going to be conducive to the way that they work. And every time we give up possession, Skip and Hoybier have to bomb back and just basically be cover. Otherwise, we're going to be throwing Sanchez and Dyer under the bus. So it's like, it, it, it really doesn't seem to fit any of the players we have, which is a real shame because we have a bunch of talented players. And we shouldn't be dropping points from winning positions against relegation teams three out of four weeks with this team, regardless of our injuries. We just shouldn't. But I think you're dead right. And I also, I think it stems with Livy keeping Stellini on. How do you let a coach like Conte, obviously mastermind and a fantastic coach, but he talks so negatively about the club, you let him go. And then you keep his whole team together to keep this. I mean, you've already been undermined. I'm guessing Stellini doesn't have the team at his hands because it's showing on the pitch. So what happens is they're not ready to play. He doesn't have no, has no idea what he's doing. And next thing you know, we're giving up two straight goals to Bournemouth and we're down and then we give up a goal late and actually lose at home to Bournemouth. Um, anybody else have anything to say this, about this match? Um, how, how do I erase it from my memory? <laughs> I was going to say yeah. the the best thing about the match is that it's over. <laughs> and now that we've stopped talking about it, that's the best thing about it. Yeah, well, let's. I, would I don't love want to sit here and talk. Go ahead, go ahead, go, Lucas. I would love to say, well, thank God that's over. But how do we expect that the next six games aren't going to be the exact same thing? We can't. Well, actually, I'll, I'll say this: you know, we're just going to come out, we'll beat the hell out of Newcastle or something, and Stellini will be like, ah, see, like. <laughs> It'll be one of those, like, crazy we win and then drop the next five or something. But the Spurs will do something to get us, like, hooked back in and get our hopes up again before they stomp us. Well, I mean, not not to spin off on a tangent, but that's an interesting point, Lucas, because that is Daniel Levy's strategy throughout the whole um, season. Like I said earlier, we're we're probably three wins, um, turning a few draws into wins from solidly being in fourth, solidly fourth. Yet this season, I think, collectively has been a nightmare because the football we are watching has been dross. We don't enjoy it. We turn up at the pub and I'd rather have a chat to you lads um, than I would watch the football. I've watched, I've missed half the goals this year because I've turned around with back, back to the TV having a chat with you. 
Um, oh, and I actually, with Danjima's goal, you were actually talking to me, and then we were all, <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember that, but we were all talking. Yeah, what you I think I was, in the, I, was, I was literally like coming out of the jacks when Sun scored his, but no, I think, and Peter, and this is something else that we don't want to admit, but I, I think, I honestly do believe, uh, as much as it sucks to say, I think that it wouldn't be as shite if it weren't for the fact that, like, Ars- like Arsenal being on top of the league adds a bunch more pressure and a bunch more, it, it just, it makes these types of fuck-ups suck more, knowing that we're now going to skip out on Champions League while they go and win the league. And it, it just, it, it really does just, I th- as much as, like, any Spurs fan, if they try and deny it, it's like, the fact that they're on top of the table right now is what adds a lot of stress to the way we've had the most implosive season. Listen, you're absolutely right. That's the subtext that underlines everything. I mean, if you're a Tottenham fan, you cannot but help feel it. When West Ham uh, drew them 2-2 at the weekend, it improved my weekend immeasurably. That's ridiculous to let that sort of emotional um, rope hang me. But it's a fact. So we have to acknowledge it. And they played brilliant football. Boy, would I like to play football like that. Fantastic. Um, And maybe one day again under a different manager with half a dozen different players, we will. I'll take the over on half a dozen. That's a a good lead-in, though. I mean, I I don't want to go valuable and least valuable. I don't want to sit here and slam Sanchez because he was thrown into the Wolves. He got beat. It was it was a terrible thing. Then he gets ripped off. You could see his facial expressions on the bench. He is just livid. The crowd is absolutely going ape shit on him, which that's a whole different conversation, and we can't get into it. I want to talk about the players. I want to talk about the squad. I want to talk where we're going for the rest of the year and then get into the manager. So what do you guys think is we're suitable for here? So Davies is down. Langley's down. Stessignon's down. Perisic is shit, he might be older than me, and I'm 45. Um, <laughs> and, and, and playing well, don't get me wrong, but then on the right side, we have Emerson's down, Poro can play, we have nobody in the back. I can't imagine they sit Sanchez up in the next match, but maybe they do and say, all right, Sanchez, here's another chance to redeem yourself. Do we see Tigana? Do we see a four in the back? What do you What do you guys think, Lucas? What do you think, Jack? Are we going to make a change? I think the only way we would make a change is if we have someone... I, I honestly, unfortunately, I think it'll be the same thing, but just run out, uh, run out Dave and have Dave be out there again. I think it really does suck because, as you just said, I think Dave was the. It's easier to be mad at Sanchez than understand like the deep level of shit that we're in. Uh, it's much easier to blame one guy than have to swallow the pill saying, "Look, we are pretty bad right now, but we have a lot of big problems." But I think we'll see. Uh, I think we'll see the same thing. We'll just slap back Dave, unfortunately. And if we don't, it would be nice to see some kind of aggression. Like, even just throwing, like, maybe we throw Saar in the midfield, too, and we do a forward to back, and we put Saar, Skip, and Hoiber in the midfield and see, does that allow Skip or Hoiber or Saar to, does one of them get to have a little bit more freedom going forward? Because right now our midfield has one job, and that's to, defend until we get like a counterattack and hopefully lump it up to Harry or son. What's well, it uh, real quick time before you get on it. But like, I, I agree with you. Here's the problem. If we play four in the back, who's playing the left back position? Like who's, who's actually slotting back there and then allowing us to play another uh, midfielder. 
Like, who are you playing left? Are you playing Pierisic on the left side of a four? Yeah, I would. It's not going to be pretty, but I would I would put him back there. I mean, I mean, the, the, kid's been, the kid's been roasted numerous times this year getting back on defense. Now, granted, he's coming from a wingback position, so I'm not going to blame him totally for that. But, boy, he doesn't have the speed to kind of run up and down the pitch. Go well, ahead. Well, if it's something as simple as like a 4-4-2, it would allow him to actually focus defensively and have – we would have a – actual attacking winger whose job that that would be to be doing everything on the final half of the pitch and he could stay back and defend a little bit it's kind of the best if that were to be where we go that would be the best option for him might be might be the only option Tom what do you think yeah I'm actually glad you brought up Parasitch because for the argument's sake that Cellini would change the formation and how we play I think Parasitch would actually be better with four in the back because he is so slow he isn't he doesn't compliment Sun um I brought up last week, like, imagine if Son went back to the right wing where he did play at, under Pochettino, and he had poor. They probably complement each other very well, presumably. Um, but I think, but I also read, so we have Perisic as a back four with Dyer, uh, Romero, but I did read today that uh, allegedly Emerson Royale could come back in two weeks. We know he's not as, he's not suited playing a, as a wing back but we know he's pretty good or he's pretty decent as a right back. So um, say in two weeks against what Liverpool or whomever Royale is the right back. Things will look better when we play and we just do a four, three, three. Cause uh, how Lucas was saying skip and Hoiberg. Yeah. You, you can tell the efforts there. Hoiberg's he's been our workhorse ever since he signed with us. But unfortunately, it's like he's just been looking all over the place, but it's because he has to do the job of, like, another three people because of how our wingbacks aren't doing so well and all this other thing, all these other things. So, you know, we saw a, th- a trio of Skip, Sar, and Hoiberg. That would definitely open things up. And Sar can play a little more advanced. Um, Skip would be the true D mid, and then, you know, Hoiberg would be a central mid, and he can be the what do you call it? The uh, water carrier, so to speak. But I mean, I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not holding my breath. Would I like to see it happen? Yeah. I mean, when I wake up on Sunday and see it, I am not going to, I don't, I don't think I'll have any, I won't be shocked. I'll be like, all right, this is what it is. Let's just, let's ride it out. But one can what dream. Th- what do you think, Peter? You think any changes are going to happen? What would you change? I would change the coach. Um, sorry to be a Debbie Downer, but that is the only way that there's going to be any, um, and I say significant um, in parentheses, changes. Um, all the changes that even Stellini could make now are on the periphery. It's so injury related. The, the, the die has been cast with this club um, or this season. We're moving the deck chairs around on the Titanic. We we know we're going to hit the iceberg, and we've we've already hit the iceberg. We're we're sinking. It's 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 you know men and women for themselves. Um, so I think Ryan Mason, if he put him in, is is the only way that you would get any form of um, tactical or player changes. Outside of that, Stellini's going to going to do his Conti cult thing um, for better or for worse. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'll I'll be very brief. Uh, but Peter, like I brought up with you, but like. I'm still a little skeptical about Ryan Mason, though. Yeah, he's a disciple of Pochettino. Absolutely. But I'm like, 
I said it to you last weekend. He didn't start Gareth Bale, and when we were down and getting murdered, he finally puts Bale on the 80th minute in the Carabao Cup final. I'm like, I this. I'm not saying this is an audition. He still has a little way to go to actually be ready to be an actual full time manager. But I'm like, he's playing with even now. He's playing with free money. I think he's going to be like Clive Allen or Chris Hewton, um, or he's going to be a long serving assistant manager for the time being. So he, I think he essentially can do whatever he wants. But the question is. Does he have the balls to do it? I suspect not, especially right not right now. Well, listen, I, I, listen, I'm with you, Tommy. I'm not saying Ryan Mason is the guy. I'm responding to Sai's question about what, if oh, anything, yeah. will change from a squad perspective. The only chance that we have is if Mason does it. Mason would likely have been the coach anyway had his wife not been um, about to give birth to, to their next child. Um but we got stuck with Stellini, and from Levy's point of view, it was he was backed into a corner. It was the path of least resistance. Let's let's keep the continuity going as much as we can and ride the luck. The luck ran out. Um, it was a dumb hire, but from his perspective, it was it was a gamble worth taking, and it's just not paid off. Lucas, yeah, no, I think um, obviously, like Tommy, I'm the one that. Has, that's been my hill to die on. I've invented that hill. The Ryan Mason not playing Gail or uh, Gail, uh, Gareth Bale in the cup final. That was that was my biggest pet peeve with Ryan Mason. I thought that showed a lot of what, like he kind of showed he was a spineless weenie. But to be honest, what Peter's point, it's like Ryan Mason coming in would offer us, he wouldn't run out. He has no loyalty to the Conti system. That would be the only reason that, yeah, Mason would be the guy here. He would actually change something. Whether or not it's a good change, whether or not it's a bad change, fuck if we know. But what we do know is we've now just we, – we, we can't see out a 1-0 win against Everton against 10 men. Like, whatever we're doing is not working, and we can't continue to run it out. And unfortunately, I think Stellini's kind of bunkered down here, and I do not think that the time that we are going to see a change is going to be Newcastle. Because Newcastle's a team with an identity. I don't expect us to have any of the ball on Sunday. So this might be the best time to actually sit there and say, let's play counterattacking football because this isn't going to be the game that miraculously we throw out a midfield and try and possess the ball and press them. Like, we're not going to see that on Sunday. So I think our best shot actually might be to just run out the same type of shit, throw Dave back there and see if Kane and Son can put on a clinic. Tommy? Yeah, I think that's I think the biggest conclusion that we've reached, even though it's not been said until I will say it, is we all want change of some sort because what we've been doing right now thus far hasn't worked. Even when we had the quote unquote greatest start ever, I think we all knew it wasn't gonna be sustainable. So like I think for us, it's like Stellini, change whatever. Just give me some give us something. At least be willing to be flexible, like, you know, whether it be back four, put, like, start Danjima next Sunday, you know, or, like, take day on out, even though I don't think he was that bad on Sunday. But I'm like, change something because what's been happening has not been working. Well, to to, to both of your guys' points, I mean, we have a, one of the largest squads. Uh, granted, we are really beat up right now. We started the season with one of the strongest Tottenham sides I had seen in a long time. I think we were all pretty excited about what this future could have been, what this year could have been. 
uh, I'm really surprised personally that we haven't rotated much at all. Now, granted, we haven't rotated at all, but Richie's been hurt coming back from Brazil. I'm not going to start Lucas on the on the World Cup affairs and international football. But the at the end of the day, we need these guys to take a rest. Now, I, I, Harry Kane's worst quality is one of his best qualities. The dude loves to be on the fucking pitch, and he almost doesn't want to come off it. He almost needs just to say, I need a break. We need to rotate the squad. Give Richie up front for 30, 40 minutes. Do something where, like, we're going to give everybody some rest. We're all, like, just pumped and ready to play. Dave comes on, and it, wasn't, it looked like he, like, barely even had his uniform on. Like, jumps on the field. He's like, oh, my God, he called my name. I'm jumping on the pitch. And then 20 minutes later, he's off the pitch. Um, this whole thing has just kind of gotten a little bit of a, a merry-go-round where the, the players just are just not feeling it for my – point of view Lucas do you have anything to say about that yeah to me again there's it it comes down to like people are going to bash Conti in the way he did things and we're going to bash Delaney for the same thing but that system works Conti is proven to be successful it is proven to win Premier Leagues it is proven to win Italian Leagues it is proven to work when he gets the guys in that he wants the problem is he and Levy, whatever went on between them, did not bring in what he needed during the summer. And while that's the case, I still believed giving Conti the time and the assets was the best way to go through with this. But when that became when when he wasn't getting what he needed from Levy, he didn't have the maturity or he couldn't let his ego out of the way and say, well, for the time being, I still want to get my system in place because it works. But for the time being, let's try something else. We continue to try and cram a square peg into a round hole, and it just it doesn't work. And you have to be able to take your ego aside and say, look, for right now, let's try and get the best that we can out of the players we have. And I believe that that's what a good manager can do, is your job is to get the most out of the players. And it's just it's a bummer because – we do have a good squad of players. Yeah, Sai, you had mentioned we've had a lot of injuries, but with this group of guys and this group of talent that we have, we should not be seeing the results that we're seeing. And I think it's about somewhere at some point, whether it's Levy, whether it's Delaney, whether it's Harry Kane, I don't know, but somebody needs to put their ego aside and we should be seeing better results than this. Well, before I move to you guys, Peter and Tommy, I, I want to say we, we, we're definitely over – we're overlooking the fact that Bentaker has been gone for a long time, who was at a, for a while there in the fall, definitely one of our biggest pieces that really kind of ran this show, got the ball moving forward, got the ball moving to the corners in the, in the hurricane. And that kind of leadership has, has left us. Um, and it's put a lot of pressure on um, the skip and the Hoy bears. And, and, and I don't even know if any of us thought SAR was going to make the, make the squad. We all probably thought he was going to be out on loan. And he was supposed to go on loan, so Bentecourt got his concussion in the fall. Right, yeah. exactly. So, like, a lot of these pieces are coming together, and it's not necessarily the pieces that Conte wanted. And he, Conte had a push for Poro. Conte signed for Charleston, which I don't know how you guys feel about it. We could talk about it, but I love the signing. I think Charleston's a fantastic footballer. I'm waiting for him to get a chance to, like, play every day. Now, granted, we have Son, we have Harry Kane, two absolute studs. Kulisevsky's been incredible, but to, like Tommy's been saying, he's been playing with some sort of injury. Tommy watches him all the time with Sweden as well. It's just a matter of 
We're not healthy in the middle. I mean, Rick from the pub, if you're listening to this, the midfield, 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 midfield. We hear you yelling and screaming and, and talking about it every single day. There's only so much we can do with Skip and Hoybear in the middle and force them to play that many minutes every other week. Lucas. Well, here, real quick, real quick, and I want to ask Peter and Tommy this as well. So this is something that when I said we didn't spend well this summer, buying Richarlson, Richarlson's a fantastic player. It isn't what we needed right now. We needed to go out this summer and get wingbacks for Conti's system. We limped to the we limped to the top four using like Royale, uh, Doherty, and Sessegnon, like, and Regulon. Like that's how we limped to the top four. So we knew that wingbacks were imperative. If we had taken that seventy million, and let's say we went out and got Pedro Poro in the summer, and we spent the other bit of that money actually making sure that we sign you doggy and he doesn't have to spend a season on loan. And those were our right and left wing backs going into the season. We might be having a completely different conversation right now, but we like, but we chose to spend the money on a player that we didn't really need. And we didn't really, we didn't, nobody fully, even Conti, I don't think even understood how that guy was going to fit into his, his system, but yeah. we could Money on there were wingbacks out there to be had, and we chose to buy a 19 year old one that was never going to play. And we sent Udagi back out on loan, and then we brought in one that was in his like mid 30s. Like, so we just, I mean, like, I think when we look back on it, that's going to be what we mainly criticize is that was the opportunity that we had. And Richarlson was a flashy signing that still scored the Premier League goal yet. No, I agree with you, Peter. Yeah, I mean, I think the Richarlison signing was a surprise to all of us. Um, I, I, listen, I was a little bit of a, a Richie fanboy. Still am to a certain extent. He's had a, a dreadful season in the Premier League. He had a great World Cup, had a good World Cup. But for Tottenham, he's been demonstrably bad. Now he's been injured. He's had a bad run. But I think that header that he missed at the weekend was a, kind of summed up his season. Had he not bet in, we'd have won the game. I'm convinced of it. Period. They wouldn't have come back and scored after that, and we'd have we'd have put another defender on and, and wrapped the game up. And his season has been made up of that sort of um, bad luck. I think um, next year I'd be really interested to see what we've got out of Richie. A full season, maybe makes uh, more than you know one game in five. Um, but that's a different discussion for a different day. Going back to to the point that did Conte get the players that he wanted and was he backed? I mean, that's that's the question that we've we've been talking about for, for 18 months now. And, and Paratici, he needs to come into the conversation at some point. What he acquired for Conte. Richarlison was one, Basuma, uh, Spence, Poro, um, Perisic, Longley, Danjumuna, and Forster, probably our, our best summer signing. Um, <laughs> ridiculous as that sounds. Um, most of those players don't sound like a world-class Conte team. So what was it? Daniel didn't want to spend the money. Paratici couldn't make it happen. Or Conte just flung his arms up and said, well, what's the point? I'm out of here next year anyway. Um, and the, the, the problem we now have, we have this clutch of players that the new coach is going to have to juggle and, and, and fit into their new system which is unlikely to be three at the back next year. Tommy? Yeah, I, 
I told every, actually, I remember talking, the four of us plus some other people, like Anthony, Matt, et cetera, we were talking outside. Everybody's like, or one of us, or not, wasn't me, but somebody in that group was saying, yeah, we started off, or we had a great window, and I told, I, I was the first one, like, we did not. We started off strong, we fizzled out at the end. Um, if we combined it with what Arsenal did at the end, then I would say it was a more complete transfer window of anything. Um, us signing Udagi and Spence and so forth, this is kind of, it's your prototypical signing for Daniel Levy. Um, back in, what, 2010, we signed two right backs for some reason. Uh, Kyle Naughton and some guy no, known as uh, Kyle Walker. I don't know if he turned out to be any good or not. But, uh, it, you know, we, we signed all these random players. Or, like, I remember signing Giovanni Dos Santos. I remember signing uh, uh, some guy from South Africa. I can't think. El Bongani Kumalo. It's like we all signed these young players. Oh, gonna... yeah. <laughs> it's like... Sorry, what? I thought you were going to make a bail joke. You're like, we signed some guy from oh, South Africa. No, because ba- Bale was intended. Well, Bale was intended. Kobe was started- okay. Gamma was okay. But- well, yeah. No, but like Bale was, he started right away under Martin Yole. So it wasn't like a project, so to speak. But these players that I'm speaking of, they were projects. Kyle Nong was the only one that really panned out from the players that I said. So I'm like, I I can't be surprised. Uh, while we did while Daniel Levy did splash, splash the cash, um, how you guys said, it's not, I don't think it's what Daniel or Antonio Conte wanted because I've said this before, he's not a project guy. He's a win right now manager. So because of that, it was misappropriated funds, as they would say. Uh, I mean, yeah, Doggy, Spence, and so forth. Sar, they could be great for years to come. But, um, and then I'll, Lucas, I'll get back, or I'll, Get to you after my final thought with Charleston. Um, I do agree he's a very good player, but the thing is, we haven't had a actual backup striker. We could have used him. I don't know what sold with Charleston on signing for us, but I'm assuming he. The it was implied that he was at least going to start start some games, or I don't know. But I'm like, I I feel bad for the guy because whenever he does come on, he plays as left wing. And it's usually when Sun finally gets benched, and he like it's like he I think he only plays like once or twice as an actual striker. For argument's sake, if Harry Kane does leave in this this summer, one would assume that he's going to be the starting striker. Uh, I think it will be a stark contrast to what he has been showing this season compared to next season if he would be the starting striker. But Lucas. Yeah, no, I, I was actually you. I'm glad that was what I was going to transition to. Like Harry Kane will be gone this summer. Um, he's not gonna. He's not gonna stick around to see like spin the wheel and see. Hey, what what's going to be my fifth manager in six years for Tottenham Hotspur? Like, no, he's going to bail. He's going to go win his trophies with United or Newcastle. But yeah, fair. Well, he'd have to force his way out though, Lucas. Right? Oh yeah. Well, we've already seen him try to do that, and this is Levy's last chance because he's got one year. So. If Libby wants to make a buck on him, we know he does that. This is your last chance to sell him. So if Harry goes... But every noise that Libby's making is that he's not going to let him go for other than an absurd amount of money, which no one's going to pay. Um, We'll see, because this is my big point. And that actually teased me up well 
to what I was what I was really going to talk about when we were just saying whether or not it was Conti, was it Levy? I know I used this phrase to you guys outside the pub the other day was just the common denominator. This is now what Levy's been around for twenty something years, and he's had like ten managers in, and one of the managers he's renewed their contract. That I mean, that is problematic. Clearly, the common denominator is him, and I don't. I used this phrase too. Like, I don't want to be those d bags that like the Wenger out, Wenger in, like flying planes above Arsenal games, like those losers. I'm not saying that. I'm not gonna hold a sign out. But I, I appreciate the good that Daniel Levy has done for this club. But if we are going to move forward, what confidence do you have that the next manager that comes in is going to be able to work with him and get things? Like everyone worships Pochettino. Pochettino couldn't make it work with Levy. Jose Mourinho and Conti couldn't make it work. Like these are two managers that have won everything possible that there is to win, and they can't make it work with this guy. But we just are like, well, hopefully, uh, I don't know, who's the next guy we bring in? Like all summer before we actually like, there was like the or was it the previous summer with like the Ten Hag rumors when we were trying to get Nuno or Ten, it was like, well, maybe we get like, what would Ten Hag do? Like he wouldn't be like, odds are he probably couldn't get. When United started like really shit this year, they had a couple of really bad games. I got a four nil smacking from Bournemouth. And they needed a certain player, so they went out and got Casemiro for 100 mil, a 30-year-old. Levy's not making that deal, but it's exactly what they needed to catapult their season in the right way. And now they're going to go finish top four, and that money takes care of itself. But, like, we don't – we do things – we can't expect to be continually part of, like, the title race conversation if we're not going to do things the way that City, Chelsea, Liverpool, United – if we're not going to operate the way they do, we can't expect to continuously be a part of that conversation. It's just not going to happen. No matter what manager we bring in, the odds tell you he's not going to have some brilliant relationship with Levy and get the players that he needs. It's just not going to happen. Peter? So you know that's not going to happen. You know the ownership group is not going to go anywhere anytime soon. So what's your conclusion? Where does that train of thought take you? Well, we need to get, we need to actually have, like, there's been rumors of Levy trying to, like, make a sale. Basically, I, I, and this is the sad part, is this, again, after Bournemouth, this is probably, like, the lowest that I felt about this team. And, like, where our direction is as a club. This is probably the lowest that I felt since, like, the mid-2000s. Because even other than that, we've always been on an upward trajectory. Even the AVB, like, uh, maybe the second AVB year, I would say, we had to plug in Sherwood. But even that, we knew that that was some bad egg players we could we could reset. I'm like, right now, I'm like, we have a bunch of good players, but we've now seen that it doesn't matter who Levy brings in. It's, it's not going to work. So we basically need some, like, let's just be open, like, maybe, fingers crossed, some billionaire comes in and buys the team and spends a boatload of money. But I'm like, that's literally the only way we're going to fix this at this point. We're not I don't know if you want to spin the conversation off into to the, the next managerial conversation, because that's the only way that this conversation progresses is, is start thinking about the next individual. Because Levy's not going anywhere, um, well, well, at least for the next season or two. If Jose and Conti and Poch 
were just like, nah, we can't make it work with this guy. Who is the next naive boob that's going to come in and be like, well, either I'm Levy's bitch or I have a backbone. Well, here's what I'll say. I think I think you hit the nail on the head. It's going to be an inexperienced um, work behind the ears. You're just Watch 2014. You know, uh, let's give it a go. Rah, rah. Um, that's the only option. It's not going to be a big name manager again. Well, are there any left? <laughs> Good question. Oh, this, this, this slot fella, this Arn slot fella, um, who's my doppelganger. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a type like that. I think, I mean, that would be interesting I, I what is everybody let's, let's go around the horn real quick if you had to say who's going to be tottenham's next manager this summer odds on who are you picking lucas who's your manager not who you want who do you think it's going to be oh i think it'll be potch tommy i don't I, I actually don't have any names all i'll just say is it's going to be some young up-and-comer in the similar mold of potch where wow. you know you know if you get what I mean, it's, you know, who's, who plays exciting football, um, can bring the youth together or has a good youth pedigree and is able to work with what he has. Peter? For Peter. Well, I think Tommy, you just described Arn Slot again. Um, someone like that. Simple as that. But Peter, you're going to agree with me on this. This is why I think it's going to be Potch. To be clear, I do not want it to be Potch. I think we've run that course, and I think when Potch goes out in 20 years down the road, when he comes back, it'll be awesome, but not right now. But, but Lucas, I think Levy's it, would be part enough, it would already Levy, have been Potch. Levy's smart enough to know that when he brings in Potch, it'll swoon the fan base, and it'll buy Levy another two years of nonsense, where, like, I, I think Levy, it'll be like a dangling, like when you dangle your car keys in front of a little baby to distract him, that'll be like, Levy will go out and bring back Potch, make the fan base happy, unite us. We'll all sing Potch's song, and then it'll be okay when we finish eighth for like the next three years. So why out. hasn't it happened already? Oh, I think it will this summer. It'll get ironed out. I think Pochettino wants that Real Madrid job. That's what I think. I want that job. <laughs> well, I would too. But I mean, I mean, I wish Anna Kendrick was my, was my next girlfriend, but. And that's a I, good lead-in. I, I can only dream. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's take a little break here. Good good conversation, boys. Um, I actually will end it with I think it's going to be Potch as well. I think it's the easiest play for Levy. I think it's the easiest play for the fan base to be like, oh, shit, okay, Potch is back. Hoo-hoo. And we, and we move on and, uh, and we try something else. But let's take a little break. When we come back, we're going to have Luke's locks because they are going to lock you up some money. And uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes here. Locks. All right, all right. Welcome back, boys. Luke's Locks, here is some free money for you this week. First up this week, it's going to be Arsenal minus one and a half goals at home versus Southampton on Friday. Obviously, it'd be great to be wrong here and see Arsenal drop points, but this one's a no-brainer. Arsenal are top of the table playing at home against the worst team on the table. Arsenal will be aggressive, looking to recover for their disappointing result against West Ham this weekend, and they should have no problem steamrolling a far weaker Saints team. So unfortunately, lock up Arsenal minus one and a half at home on Friday. Next up, 
It's going to be an over bet, so we can have some fun and root for some goals here. It's going to be over two and a half goals in Fulham at home to Leeds. Leeds, at this point, are hitting that point of the year where they're starting to get a little bit desperate for results as they linger down there by the bottom of the table. Leeds have an awful defense, especially on the road. So those two combined with the fact that Fulham can actually score a few should be a recipe for plenty of goals. Take over two and a half in Fulham and Leeds. Third is going to be Liverpool minus one and a half goals at home versus Forest. Forest are currently 18th on the table, coming off three straight losses. Liverpool are finally looking like they're going to be making a run for that top four spot. And we all know what they're capable of doing at Anfield. Uh, so expect another drubbing like the one they put on Leeds yesterday and take Liverpool minus one and a half at home versus Nottingham Forest. Fourth and final game of the week. And I'm not excited to hand this one out. Uh, Newcastle minus a half goal at home against Spurs. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously support Tottenham, and I don't need to go into details on this, but we look woeful, and Newcastle is much better than us. So, unfortunately, this one's a no-brainer as well. Take Newcastle minus the half goal at home to Spurs. There you have it. There's your free money of the week for Luke's Locks. Let's go get rich, kids. All right. Thank you, Lucas. Those are locks, and bet responsibly, people out there. Bet responsibly. But they're all locks, so just hammer them. Here- <laughs> Here's the deal. Let's let's get into Newcastle real quick here. We kind of touched it on many different conversations um, with formation or who's going to be coaching. If Stellini's going to lay down and just die, or if, or or if, you know if uh, if um, we're going to jump off and play a play a four in the back. I'm kind of rambling here, but what do you think, Lucas? You think we're going to come out in different formation, win this game? I, I know your answer, but like, tell me why. Well, I wish. And here's the big thing for me is um, the one thing we've lacked all year, and it's it's very similar to a point Tommy brought up earlier when he mentioned this was the best start that we've had all year. And I think it was through, I forget how many games, I think it was like seven or eight games we had the best start we've ever had in the Premier League. But even despite that, we've never looked like we've had an identity this season. And that's something that I think is one of those things where you can see it when you watch teams, they might not have the best players, but they have an identity and that usually wins out against a team with good players that don't seem to have an identity. And that's unfortunately been us for, especially since the world cup, it seemed like we've had no identity as a team. And when you watch Newcastle play, sure, they just got smacked against Villa, but okay. They were due for that. But when you watch them play, they've been, they play fearless against teams and they don't have like they have a very clear attacking identity. They're very clear with what they want to do when they possess the ball, they press, they create mistakes, and then they know how to react to your mistakes. It's something that we haven't seen us do in a long time. So that's probably the main reason, the lack of identity, I think, versus their like, and, and that's something that I'm very jealous of because once you have your identity nailed in, then you can plug in better players, especially with their not like their new bankroll. So this is a team with Newcastle that we're going to see. I know I take the piss out of Kieran Trippier all the time, but like they'll start plugging in a guy that's better than him or better than like Chris Wood, like lumping it. Like they'll start to get guys plugged into their identity, and we'll see them take off and move forward. And for us right now, we're I we're just. I, I, couldn't even tell you what our identity is like 
hope to have a nice save and lump it up to Harry or Son. Like I, I don't know what our game plan is going to be, but I can tell you, it's probably not going to be very different than what we've seen. Peter. Yeah, I mean, I think our strategy is one of hope. Um, and hope is not a sensible strategy to go into one of these games with. I hope they run out of steam. I hope they've hit their little end of season skid. I hope by some miracle, Sonny gets a hat trick. Um, but I don't see much of a lineup change. Um, I don't see much of a, a tactical change on, on, on our behalf. Um, I wish I could say something different, but there's been nothing um, in the last half season that leads me to anything other than um, kick it out the front and hope. Um, and, and, and the problem with that is that shortly after we've got Man U and then Liverpool or vice versa. Um, so these three games, um, even though Lucas said he's never felt worse about a season, could in fact be getting a lot worse. Tommy? Yeah, um, I mean, well, Peter, you know you were at the first Newcastle game uh, earlier this season. Um, you go ahead I was, game. and it um, turned out pretty depressingly as well. <laughs> yeah, and I was Boston, so I watched with my friend Dan, and it was just like, yeah, it was not fun. Um, but I would not be surprised if, if things go the way they do. Because, um, I mean, anyhow, I think he's actually a pretty good man-manager. He deals with uh, what, you know, the cards that are dealt with him. I mean, he's got more, he's got a bigger bankroll nowadays, of course. But I think the, the team actually plays a little more aggressive, so I can actually appreciate that from him or from the squad. But, I mean, realistically, I'm like, when does it end? I, I just don't see. I mean, we talked about in the first half, I don't see Cellini changing the formation, um, even though he's going to have to by obligation. There is no, or I mean, or at least change the lineup one way or another. Because <clears throat> Longley is out. Uh, I mean, do you want to throw Sanchez back in? Do you want, or do you want to throw in a less seasoned <clears throat> player uh, like Tenganga in? I, I hope not. I mean, I feel bad for both guys because they haven't been getting playing time but I'm like this is just it's a bad situation we're all and I just I mean yeah I'm going to the Brentford game but I told some people at the bar I just actually screamed it out on Saturday but I'm like I just can't wait for the season to be over um this is just I mean it's the hope that kills you as as they say and I I don't know. I would like to think differently, but who knows? Lucas, you had your hand up. Yeah, I well, for me, the big thing with us versus Newcastle, and I talked about identity, but there's also like a, a bit of belief with them that we haven't seen. We've had a few results, um, but like my big question would be, when was the last time you saw us dominate a game? Not just win the game, because we just beat Brighton the weekend before, but we actually got our ass kicked and just happened to have <laughs> two goals go in. Um, and before that, I guess it was Southampton. We fucked up before that would probably be the answer. Technically Nottingham forest. We beat them three, one. You could say we dominated that game for the majority of it. And despite that, we still late 
or we let in a late goal and a late penalty. So that could have been 3-2 with five minutes left, bar a nice Forrester save. But before that, I'm like, we don't have another like impressive win. February, we beat Chelsea 2-0. We didn't even dominate that. We were the better team, but we didn't dominate. Newcastle has been able to dominate teams. And we have yet to have... I, I honestly think the last real time we dominated somebody was 4-0 away against Palace on like the first week of January. And that's just beyond troubling to me that we're about to go in. If they have no fear going to play Man United or City or whoever, it's like, what the hell are they going to fear us going to St. James? They're going to say, screw it. We'll smack these clowns. Hopefully Hugo will throw us a few goals like last time. But I, I, I honestly think that to me, that's the big problem is we we can't dominate Bournemouth at home. How are we going to go try and bring the game to Newcastle away when they're going to be looking for – they're going to be out looking for blood after their poor performance? I think that after their shit performance against uh, Villa, getting tossed out 3-0, they're going to be much more up for it because they've proven they have that mentality. I, I don't see – how are we gonna? How are we gonna react? Like, I think the only chance we have is is if we get if injuries have forced us into some like type of formation change. I think that's the only way. If we run up there with the same lineup, bar Dave's, and we slot in a guy here or there, and we try and play the exact same system, we can expect the exact same results. Like, I I have a couple things to say with that, and, and to Peter's point earlier. I think we are going to stay formation. I think we are going to play counterattack football because we're going to have no other choice. We're not going to control the ball at Newcastle all of a sudden when we couldn't control it at home against Bournemouth. So let's just assume we're playing counterattack football. I have a couple other questions about this, though. Every other big club, because we're a big club, have this beautiful youth system. We have a great youth system. I remember a couple of years ago when we brought up Tanganga in a huge match. I want to say it was against Liverpool at home. Um and kind of like a big, big game. Tanganga has like man of the match all of a sudden. Like who – do we have anybody in the left side that can come in and, and play a back four? Give – you know, that could come up for us this week. And maybe he's training right now because I, I haven't seen the training lineups. I haven't seen who's out there. Are we bringing up any of these kids to uh, give them a shot? To, because at this point, like this is a major game. We have to try to take three points in Newcastle if we're talking top four. Obviously, we have two big matches coming up with uh, Man U and Liverpool as well. Huge matches. We're going to have to stay healthy, as healthy as we can, going forward. What do you guys think about that? Is there any, is there any youth out there? Like, do we have anybody in our system? We did get a oh, – I can't even think of the name, but he apparently he's a young up-and-coming or up-and-comer. He just got promoted to the first team. I can't think of his name. Somebody wants to figure that out. Mundle? There's another – Mundle? Yes. That sounds familiar. So, it's kind apparently, of apparently he was like – at the end of his contract or youth contract, and he's like, the only way I'll resign is if we, if I get a first team con or if I actually train with the first team. So, but I'm like, I don't even think he, he would play. That would make no sense. I mean, we played like Alfie Devine, maybe, but I'm like, it's a I mean, midfielder. I'm, but I mean, like, well, generally speaking, though, but I'm like, when was the last time we actually thrown a youth player in for an important game? It, it probably was Harry Winks against Arsenal in, what, 2016 or Danny Rose in 2010? Lucas? Uh, Lucas? I, would, I would say Jose, Jose did it with Tanganga 
against Liverpool. Oh, yes, that's true. And, and he did that more for a PR stunt so he could say he, he, he pulls youth up. Well, that's but and, and Peter, you're 100 percent right. But that that in lies one of the big points that we've made a we've made it very problematic for us in the last decade is the way we've ruined our youth system. You either come up on the first team and you sit there and wait for your career to die or leave, or we just didn't believe in you and we throw you out to like a bullshit loan and that's where it kind of ends. Where I, I think that's been a problem where like Walker Peters should have been on loan, shouldn't have been sitting there on the bench rotting behind two very top right backs in Walker Peters, or excuse me, in Walker and Trippier. Like, so I, I think that we've done a really poor job putting guys out and productive loans. Productive loans is the big thing. It's not worth, I, I hate the, okay, we take somebody and we send them back out to like the same league or something. Like we'll never know what Brian Hill will become as long as he's on loan in Spain. Cause our biggest criticism of him is he can't compete in England with the physicality. Well, how's he going to improve that in Spain? He's not. So I, I think that, We've done a very poor job with our youth system where we've not sent them on productive loans at the right time. And I think it's cost us a lot in, I, I think we've now, again, we have very few young guys to actually rely on, but I do think that Tanganga's proven that he can go in and step into big games. So if Tanganga is the guy that we throw out, and we just maybe ask Poro, hey, can you run on the left side today? I mean, if we were comfortable enough doing it with Royale, <laughs> like, hey, Royale, can you go play the other side? We're asking Matt Doherty to go play the other side. Poro clearly can go play the other side if need be. So I, I think there are a few last-ditch options here, and I know that Tanganga's proven that he can succeed in big games. So, I mean, yeah, that that might be the last alternative we have, but I would assume that that's going to be that's going to be like an injury based thing, and we'll start with just the same formation in Sanchez. Peter, yeah, unfortunately, Sai, you're grasping at straws there, mate. Um, even if we had um, a 16 year old Wayne Rooney in the youth uh, ranks waiting to come up, the Conte Stellini access um, wouldn't play him. Um, the, the youth system, I think, has been a victim of our last couple of coaches. Um, first team Premier League coaches, big time guys, are not going to chance um, th these games on, on youth. They're just not. Um, so it's very, very difficult for these fellas to break into teams. Um, and at this time of the season, Stellini is just going to fall back on his haunches and, and do what he knows and not risk um, any sort of uh, youth players, I'm afraid. Well, Peter, saying that, what's your prediction here? What do you, what do you think happens in this match? 3-0 uh, Tottenham. Ooh! Tommy? All right. Okay, all right. Fair enough. Calm down. <laughs> well, Peter, who's, I mean, listen, who scores, Peter? Why not? 3-0 Tottenham. I mean, we're not going to keep a clean sheet, so that's bollocks to start off with. Um, so, Anna, let's re let's reverse the fixture that I saw um, back in October. Let's go two one Spurs. Who scores? Uh, Sonny um, and let's go uh, Skippy. Let's have him the second one of the season. 
Okay, fair enough. What about you, Lucas? As he drinks down his pint. I would say I'm going to go two-one Newcastle. Um, I just I don't think we see enough of the ball. I don't think we ever get any momentum going, and I think we just get like a we'll get like a late corner that'll kind of spur us on for the last 15 minutes or so. But I'll say two-one, and this is where Richarlison gets his first goal. Tommy, a little too late. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to be vigilant about this. Um, I'm actually going to up the ante. I'm going to see we're going to lose three to one. Um, but our goal score will be the almighty, dependable Harry Kane. I'm actually on the Peter Wavelength. I, I, I find that we win these games, um, and I have no idea how or why. But um, I'm, I think we're going to win this game 2 1. It's going to be a late goal by Richie for his first goal, and, it, first goal, and it's going to matter, Lucas. Um, <laughs> In this in this case, um, let's move on because we've all been harsh on Tottenham and oh, trying sorry, to get... sorry to interrupt. Oh. You said two one, but who was the other? I'm sorry, Kane, Kane. Well, Senior Kane and Richie. Gotcha. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, so let's 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 move this thing because I know we're trying to get through the season. But let's let's talk realistically about what we think is going to be the end result of this season. Are we going to finish fourth? Are we going to finish fifth? Are we going to like literally crawl our way into the Europa's B League, the the time was it again? The Conference League. What do you think, Peter? What do you think is going to happen? Boy, um, looking at the form table, um, what are we fifth at the moment? Uh, I think it, it is perfectly reasonable. Two weekends from now, we could be eighth, um, given what. Liverpool seem to be doing at the moment. Um, Brighton are just playing some fantastic football. Um, and even bloody Aston Villa. Aston Villa, for crying out loud. Um, all of those clubs are going to give us a run for our money. So I think quite conceivably, um, given our fixtures for the next few weeks, we could end up eighth um, without too much of a sweat. Lucas? Okay, uh, realistically, I would be very, very okay with that. If we don't finish top four, I want to finish eighth. Agreed. do not fucking want to go to Europe again. I do not want to fucking go to Conference League and have Thursday nights in Maccabi Haifa in, in Israel. Like, it is a waste of time. If we're going to be bringing in, I honestly think as much as it would suck, for us to finish eighth, and that would be what a massive disappointment. It's the best thing. Sometimes that that whole fall where all you have is one game a week can be so productive. Look at when Chelsea, the Conte year, like Chelsea finished 10th, and then remember the year we finished second, and we we're like, oh, we couldn't run down Chelsea. That's because they had one, they had finished 10th the year before and had one game a week the entire season to worry about. Sometimes it's advantageous to suck, get out of Europe, and hit the reset button. And that's what we need to do because it's not going to be productive for us when we're like, well, we don't know what is, is – even if Harry's there, let's say. We're like, well, Harry's, Harry's going to want to play in every game. We're going to have guys tired. We've set our whole system around Hoybier apparently. So it's like, well, he might get exhausted. It might just be beneficial for us to take a break from Europe for a season – 
And especially with a brand new manager that's going to be coming in, trying to implement his system, I would be much more okay with finishing eighth than being in the Europa Conference League. Because even if we win that trophy, that's not a, I, I know it's beggars can't be choosers, but that's not a trophy I want to win. We're just going to be a piss take to everybody in, in London. And it's just going to be like, haha, like classic Spurs, like you won that trophy. So it's like, I would much rather just take a break from Europe, finish eighth, and we can actually try and start from square one. Tommy? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to win every trophy <clears throat> that we can get because I just want a trophy in general. But, I mean, Peter hit the nail on the head with Aston Villa. They are in an insane run, like she talked about last weekend. Um, kind of uh, ironic that Steven Gerrard, uh, his managerial career or his pedigree was just as overrated as his playing career, but that's a whole other story. But they're on a huge tear. Unai Emery's been doing very well for them. Um, and we play them in, what, two weeks, two, three weeks or whatever. I would, I mean, with the way things go, we're going to get murdered by them. Uh, Brighton playing very well, but they also have two games in hand. And they're four points behind us. I, I just, again, how I said before, I just can't wait for the season's over. There's no one in sight. So... If Liverpool, while they are, what, six points behind us, but with one game in hand, I wouldn't – it's how you guys said with – if we don't get Europe, it's not the end of the world. I mean, Leicester – or how you guys said with Chelsea, Leicester won the title with no Europe. Uh, when we made Champions League in 09 – or 2009-10 season, we had no Europe. Um, how I said before with – Well, and Tommy, Tommy, don't forget – don't forget we were the ones – in January of the last half of the season that knocked Leicester out of the FA yeah, Cup. Yeah, so we so, so we, we actually, the ones that we, gave them the free pass yeah, to play. Unfortunately, yes. But no, so the other thing though is how I talked about in the first half with the transfer and I was like, yeah, we started off strong. We got Richarlison, Perisic, uh, we got Basuma. You know, it's like, okay, we're building some depth here, but we fizzled out. So I mean, if we go the course and would, you know, unfortunately, we got to deal with Daniel Levy. So nobody wants to buy from him or sell to him because he's just such a haggler. So if we kind of keep going the same way and we and say we get a young up and coming manager like I believe we will. We're going to deal with a relatively lean squad. So first things first with that is the manager's got to figure out what kind of squad he has and that you want the most effective starting 11. Second of all, um, if he actually wants to build depth, he's got to play these players, but we, he doesn't know what he's got until he actually plays them. So that's kind of another quandary. Uh, but you also have to deal with that in training as well. So like, I mean, if we get seventh and we have to go to like Belarus or I don't know, Estonia or whatever, I'm like, yeah, it sucks. But I mean, that might be a good way. It might be a good way to build depth. I just don't see that happening. Um, Lucas, so for argument's sake, if we did get eighth, it's not the end of the world. Lucas, no, but we've 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 used that excuse before. We were like, we've used that exact excuse, being like, oh, you know what? It's okay. We're in conference league because we'll use that to rotate and we'll use that to get guys minutes. And we didn't. But we got to find the right manager though that would actually be willing like, what, to rotate. I mean. 
we're kind of out of we're kind of out of options at this point. I know. We're to find some sap. But what I would argue I mean, I'll gladly put, volunteer myself though. Well, what what you said is you're like when the manager comes in, the first thing he's got to do is find out like what's the best with this 11. To me, I actually don't feel that way. I think that the manager needs to come in saying, "This is my philosophy." And then you work towards making every signing fit into your philosophy. Very much like what Conti did. The only difference would be if you don't get what you need right away, don't have your ego come into it and say, I can't, I can't just try something else. But you need to have an identity and a philosophy as a manager. You can't come into this shit heap of players being like, let's see what we have here. Like, I don't want that manager. That's what Nuno was. Nuno was like, I'm happy to be here, and I don't know what my, like, actual philosophy is. Because remember, we were like, oh, wow. We had Doherty right before we got Nuno. Now Doherty's going to be back to flying as a wingback. And Nuno's like, well, I'm not going to use that anymore. We're like, well, what is your philosophy, Nuno? Like, we just won three straight games, one nil. Like, I, I don't know what the game plan was there. But so that's the thing is when we do get somebody in, you got to have you got to have a game plan and then you and the owner have to be on board and i think that's where i'm the most depressed is cuz i'm fairly sure that that's never going to happen with levy so well here's something that might cheer you up and give a bit of an incentive to to hit the uh, uh europa league next year i believe the final is in dublin um and imagine that I mean, we'd be over there in a flash, right? Heck yeah. I might, I might go regardless of where they're not. <laughs> I have to check so, my season ticket. I might just have a free season ticket over there. I'll check. There you go. Well, listen, I think that was a great way to kind of end this thing. Um, anybody else have anything else to say before we, uh, before we part ways tonight? Nah? Nah? Well, I mean, there are so many. I mean, there was, there was, <laughs> what are you lads just before we go? What, what are you feeling on the whole uh, Scott Munn thing? And there you go. You know, how, uh, how the Paratici thing is going to work itself out. Um, any thoughts? Not Lucas, positive. do you have anything? <laughs> I'm very, I have very pessimistic thoughts at this point. Tom, what about you? I mean, I think Prodigy is essentially good as done. I don't think the appeal is going to happen. I mean, I fair to the club for submitting the appeal. I mean, you never know. Might as well shoot your shot. Maybe it gets reduced. We'll see, I guess. But, I mean, Scott Munn, I'm, I'm just like, I mean, he's apparently he leaves every time before they make it big. Or, kind of like with City. So maybe he'll set us up for success. But, oh, dude, that's just like when we got Jason. Is a trophy at every club. Like, of so this course. Yeah. But, uh, no, but, like, if he sets this up for success, but, I mean, will Daniel Levy and everybody else follow through on that and not deviate from it? Eh, uh, we'll see, I guess. But I don't oh think well. we're going to see any successes under Inic or Daniel Levy. Unfortunately, I think our hell is going to remain where it is, intact, and we can talk about it again <laughs> this weekend at the pub when we're slamming the- Guinnesses. Also, the bar is very low for success right now. So, <laughs> Well, you, you mean super low. We haven't done anything since 2008. Exactly. Let's, let's wrap this thing up. I want to say thanks to Anthony for scheduling the production notes. Tommy, 
Thank you for editing. Charlie for the music, Sam for social media, Kimberly for the logo, and always the Atlanta pub where I drink my Guinnesses on a regular basis. And also for letting us use the recording space. Find us on many platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. Hit the subscribe button and write us a review, good or bad. We like reviews. And uh, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at fourstarspurs.com. And on our website. Anybody else got anything to say before we roll? Come on, you Spurs! Up the lily whites. On, two, Spurs. Adios.